Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You're talking to me, or I'm ripping your spine out through your ear. You know I can. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 203, a.k.a. Soul Survivor, is sponsored by Griffin Sinclair's Okra. Ladies' fingers can't resist picking it up. Well, Pete, I'll take that sponsor over TMZ. Just want to take a minute to thank everybody who, of course, has been listening to the Jessica Jones podcast so far, uh, both our first episode as well as the uh, the trip to Paley. Uh, and, of course, many listeners on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, where, in addition to Jessica Jones, we're talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, having just recorded our gala 100th episode uh, review the other night, certainly an exciting time. Matt, Black Panther, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at 100, a full second season of Jessica Jones. We've got Avengers Infinity War moved up and rapidly approaching, and we're bringing it all to you. I know it's it's amazing, and no one else, Matt, brings you all of it. And you know what, Pete? Gotta gotta count out our longtime pal, longtime listener there, Tim in Utah, who uh, of course is excited about Infinity War, and uh, somebody had commented on one of his Infinity War pictures. Thank goodness the Avengers have gotten out of May the 4th. That's for Star Wars only. And uh, he had the right response. I am ready for this movie anytime they want to bring it. So thumbs up to Tim. Well, unfortunately, he won't be listening to this episode because he doesn't do Jessica Jones. He's got reasons for not doing it. But uh, we know, Matt, there are a lot of people who love it. Absolutely. With that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what this episode was all about. The episode opens on a beach, the kind of place Jessica Jones could be alone or throw Simpson's body to the sea. She and Trish are wiping down his car and his existence, having reached a dead end. Or not. Trish calls psychiatrist Dr. Tolbalt to her apartment, where he tries to get Jess to think back, and is quickly booted. Oh, and the worried Griffin is glad to see Trish is alright. Jessica forgot to tell him that, and her follow-through blows. Griffin remains upset with Trish. She charged in without backup. This may or may not be sexist, but he appears to be concerned for her. Back in Jessica's apartment, business thing, she's being evicted for Oscar for having a business in her apartment thing. She confronts Oscar, calling him bigoted against powered people. He counters that she's not in a protected class. 30 days and she's out. The story moves to Hogarth with Chow and Benowitz. As per her contract, she's being bought out. But she won't take it. No negotiation, no severance, no reason her name comes off the door. Later, she gets that buyout offer. From Franklin Foggy Nelson. Cameo time. He wants to help her because he's a great guy. For it, he gets royally chewed out. Ending with the idea that he pull his head out of her butt and back into the sand where it belongs. Back to Jessica, she's going through IGH paperwork and creating the classic TV detective corkboard with highlighted and circled papers. She sleeps in dreams of whiskey tubed into her arm, a purple light, and someone attacking her. She falls out of bed, waking up to news that Oscar has a con past for document forgery. Why did he replace the beloved old super? Go ask the landlord, Malcolm. He does. 
finding the landlord might have an eye for Malcolm, if not for his Cambodian boyfriend who's coming to the United States soon. Oscar's word rules. Jessica goes to check out IGH again, getting info off a dusty nameplate, Dr. Leslie Hansen. Later, she explains to Trish that Hansen has no web presence. Trish, in a rare scene of two women talking about boys, yeah, says she loves Griffin and wonders about his deep, dark past. Jessica says there's nothing like a hidden family to worry about. She's looked into him. They arrive at Hansen's sweet rent-controlled apartment. No way she's moved out. They break into that great apartment, which is devoid of any proof that anyone lives there. Crotchety old neighbor man says she moved out a week ago. They check for evidence in the basement, finding a musty smell from the incinerator and a skull. Jessica packs it up and takes it to the medical examiner's office, where she sneaks in, logs into the system, and puts in unidentified human head. Thanks, sticky note with login info. Trish then walks in, talking to her old pal, medical examiner Maury, about hot Manhattan restaurants. And hey, that human head I heard was logged in? He'll send her info in exchange for a reservation at the latest hot spot. At home, Jessica Jones is told by Malcolm about the Cambodian boyfriend's painting. She clogs her toilet and calls the super, which is an excuse for her to duck into his apartment and see that he's a bit of an artist and, of course, a document forger. He admits to the former, but not the latter, for their landlord boss. Meanwhile, Trish is watching the Wizards video when someone sneaks up. It's Griffin, who is totally a nice guy and in no way up to no good. He was going to make her dinner. Trish goes to lock up her gun while he takes files from her computer. Jessica is awoken by Jerry at her door, ripping up Cheng's complaint and needing help to stop the totally legal and legitimate attempt to remove her from her law office. Jerry says that she has ALS, the neurodegenerative disease. She has only power, control, clients, her firm. Jessica is tasked with finding dirt on Chow and Benowitz. Later on Trish Talk, Trish asks her listeners for information on Dr. Leslie Hansen, a hero of medicine. Someone ultimately does call, sounding an awful lot like that nice British lady at Paley. Later, JJ says Trish shouldn't be part of this investigation. To slow her down, she reports to gossiper TMZ that Patsy and Griffin are on the outs. Jessica goes to a bar, and in walks a lady who looks an awful lot like that nice British lady at Paley. It's Dr. Hansen who wants to tell Trish the truth. She admits to being an ER doctor, but looks as IGH as heroes. Meanwhile, cut to Malcolm in Trish's apartment, as she's trying to snuff the TMZ piece. Maury calls, the body is of Dr. Leslie Hansen. Wait, Dr. Hansen is dead? Malcolm tips off the paparazzi that Trish isn't there, and the faux tags run except for one who sees Trish and Malcolm leaving to go help Jessica. Back at the bar, Dr. Hansen talks editing genetic code. Powers were a side effect with certain DNA. Hansen says that Jessica was brought back from the dead. She literally died on that table. Jessica wishes that she was dead. Hansen then pushes the table. Is she powered too? Turns out she's very powered, as it seems when she pushes Jessica Jones through a wall. As she leaves, Hansen pushes past Malcolm, then goes up a wall. Literally. But not before that last journalist snaps a pic of Trish and her new quote-unquote BF Malcolm and Hansen to end the episode. (laughs) 
what suspects draw our focus in this episode. Pete, surely we're going to start with the people who only gave us one scene with Eldon Hansen. They're the real villains, right? Well, Matt, we will take what we can get, but I'm going to begin with Griffin Sinclair loading up a thumb drive off uh, Trish's computer. This guy can't be up to any good. Well, yeah, that certainly is the turn there. He's been in he's been in these episodes as nothing but a reliable, dependable guy who has a deep resume and a big heart and lots of concern. And I like that they've elevated his character. Um, certainly the fact the fact that he's taking some of her files on that thumb drive, might it loop around to you know, to be okay and he just, he's just checking out for her sake. Okay, it could be, but certainly looked sinister. And Pete, I just want to mention at this point, look, I mean, thumb drives are still widely in use. Most people now kind of moving to cloud storage and across right. my mind when he had that, like it's not quite antiquated, but they, they need to throw in some of these things for the purposes of TV and the purposes of narrative. For example, if he just logged into his Google <laughs> Drive account, that's not cinematically appealing. Same he just thing- made three uh, sinister clicks and a swipe. And we know now he has loaded it to a Dropbox someplace. Yeah, but we're talking about this hyper-competitive, having-risked-his-neck journalist. So he's literally, Matt, embedded with Trish here, um, you know, stealing secrets to get ahead. He urged her towards the story. She's gotten the dirt. She's risked her neck. And now he gets to thumb drive off that. Bottom line is clearly the story is now throwing up a question mark when it comes to Griffin. Um, I appreciate that because it makes for a a more complex character, a more complex overall story. Uh, And I'll just add to his technology situation. It it occurred to me the number of times that people don't answer cell phones in this show. That's the way for them (laughs) to have cell phones like people do. But that's also a way to preserve the old story convention of how do we get in touch with them? You know, I've been watching a whole bunch of ERs and it's like, listen, I'm headed out. You leave a message on my machine if anything changes, okay? And you're like, what? You just call him on the cell phone. Oh, it's 1995. <laughs> they have a 2018 problem, which is anybody can be reached at any time, except for when you're a brat and you turn your phone off or you keep it on mute or you don't check it. So they're back to that cell phone-less uh, aesthetic, which works for the story, same way his thumb drive works visually for the story as opposed to log into your drive account. Um, and it's just, we have this throwback style story even you know, even though the modern technology still exists. Absolutely. Moving along, Matt, to Chow and Benowitz, who with an ALS, a Lou Gehrig's disease diagnosis disclosed later in the episode for Jerry, uh, which I did not see coming. Uh, certainly want to get your feel on that. These partners who move because of a medical disclosure clause to push her out are i think the biggest villains in this episode i'm certainly inclined to agree just in terms of where my loyalties lie for these characters and i'm certainly sympathetic to to jerry's you know very serious um prognosis here 
part of me, though, must nonetheless point out that the, the episode has made clear this is a legal, legit practice that they are the Chow and Benowitz are undertaking here as per her contract. So it's not a it's not a HIPAA violation. It's not a health privacy violation. Um, I, I think too, I'm slightly sympathetic to them as business owners that this is the nature of the contract and maybe it's a jerky thing to put in the contract in the first place. I will admit, I don't know if in the real world that is legal, although I suspect it is when you, you know, give your name over to a company that size and when you're, you're, you know, as a partner, you can't run willy nilly same way as a CEO or whatever. There, there are particular, um, you know, particular basic rights. Heck I know, you know, sports, sports people, there's stuff in their in their, uh, contracts about, you know, no, no extreme sports. Like you can't go water skiing or skydiving, things like that, where you and I can just hop on a skydiving plane tomorrow if we want. It's, uh, even more restrictive than that. Um, you know, having grown up around a professional athlete, he wasn't allowed to play a different sport. He couldn't play basketball which made something like what happened to Aaron Boone, who is the New York Yankees new coach when he tore his ACL, uh, all the more inexcusable um, and understandable that the, the team was upset. But, you know, that Foggy charges in here and he calls this, for want of better terms, Matt, nonsense, I think establishes Chow and Benowitz and their villainy narratively absolutely i guess i'm just throwing in that little sprinkle of the flip side which is i get it you're sympathetic to uh fortune 500 uh big wigs and golden parachutes i get it and so does the audience (laughs) um i I would I, i will say this i would call into question the pr value like she potentially, and maybe again, this show is not going to spend tons and tons of time talking non-disclosure agreements and things of that sort. But hey, let's examine the show under the the, the light of reality. Um, could she go forward and say, "Feeble old me fighting Lou Gehrig's disease, and now they're kicking me to the curb"? You know, I don't know that that's, I don't know that's something that they have anticipated. I don't know if that's something that the story has anticipated because it simply might not go there. But. I was amazed that they, um, I'll be completely honest, Pete, I, I was under the assumption that it was, you know, that, that Jerry as a strong woman was, go, you know, who is written by these strong women and strong producers and whatnot. Um, my assumption was it was going to be uh, some sort of uh, ailment unique to females, whether it was cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, breast cancer, something like that, if only just to to bring those cancers kind of more in the discussion of the the forefront of of what's going on in the episodes um <laughs> bottom line is i feel terrible that jerry is is ill regardless of what her ailment is and uh again i'll cop to being slightly surprised that it's als we will talk uh more significantly about the subtext of her ailment because there is something going on there but let's move on matt to oscar uh now ready to have jessica evicted and an ex-con. Well, I guess now officially full disclosure, after having seen actor J.R. Ramirez, not just on the panel at New York Comic Con, but having had the experience where, all right, Pete, we're going to cross, not at the crosswalk. Uh, there's a little bit of traffic there. Well, hold on. Okay, we're clear to the right. Matt looks to the left. Matt looks to the right. 
there's Pete and J.R. Ramirez. Russia's um, right by me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have to be a little sympathetic to Oscar. So maybe that's my disclosure that I'm not judging him properly while also being too sympathetic to Chow and Benowitz. Anyhow, um, first of all, I mean, it suits the story that he did this kind of uh, thinking man's crime of document forgery. You know, it's a lot different than B&E or something like that. Um then it also was facilitating, you know, his presence into it and the landlord's boyfriend coming from Cambodia and all of that. Uh, bottom line, though, a con with a record. So, okay, I can see how that is uh, a blemish against his character and his resume and this and that, the other. I still revert back to the first time we saw him. There he is with with uh, Paquito Vito. And then again, when he when he hammered home, I'm just here to to make good by my son, to protect my son, to keep custody. I can understand why he's putting up this wall. Shades of Sandman a little bit uh, from the Marvel Universe uh, without the powers, certainly breaking the law with his son in mind. But, you know, pushing Jessica out and everything there, there's no way we can look positively on the guy even easier to uh, look at as a villain, as a suspect here, Matt, is Eugene the Landlord or Slumlord, as Jessica would have you believe. I, I will admit I am too far removed from the world of owning a home that somebody else gets to live in and I charge them for it. That's not, that's not the world I live in. That said, I know what that building looks like where uh, Alias Investigations is headquartered. It looks okay not it's great. a set matt you know that right well uh, but, <laughs> i do but i mean just i mean pete had had you or i moved into the fifth floor a couple of years ago there would have been this crazy lady this crazy drunk at the end of the hall there would have been a heroin addict right next door it's probably not the nicest There's two place. twins upstairs yes the weirdo twin oh they were such good characters um so i think i'm increasingly disliking uh what's his name again Eugene. Eugene, particularly with his fancy, is that properly called a brownstone? I mean, regardless, that's that's a sweet piece of uh, Manhattan land there. Well, it's it's paid for on the backs of, uh, you know, slumlord property there. And, you know, Jess's building doesn't look like it's completely dilapidated. It, it looks... And again, that, that set done that way looks rightly ruddy enough, but at the same time... Most of that she has done. Most of that yeah. is her problem. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Malcolm's coming along with those repairs. Who knows, Matt? Maybe by the time we have an actual name for Mystery Woman and it's uh, 30 days are up, uh, Jess's apartment will look completely different. Well, Pete, you mentioned that mystery woman. We, of course, saw actress Janet McTeer at Paley and uh, ha had nothing to say about her, about her past. And uh, good news, Pete, halfway through the episode, we hear her on the phone. We see her in person. She gets identified as, uh, as Dr. Leslie Hansen, except that's not Dr. Leslie Hansen, if you believe the fine medical examiner. So still a mystery woman. You may be temporarily in your, I don't want to say shipping, but in your head, dear listeners, you might be calling her Dr. Leslie Hansen for now. But uh, Pete, I don't think Dr. Hansen could leap tall buildings in a single bound the way Mystery Woman does at the end of this episode. 
Well, Dr. Leslie Hansen, I think, is playing another character, Matt, the character of Dead Skull. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have Red Skull. This is Dead Skull. Maury Tuttlebaum has identified the skull as Leslie Hansen. So who this mystery woman, patient, other doctor, who knows? Uh, but the physicality, the uh, the fine British acting chops that uh, Janet McTeer spoke at length about at the Paley Center about, you know, wanting to know the whole story up front so it could really inform her character beginning, middle and end, as opposed to the, uh, you know, American TV tradition of, hey, here's your script for this episode. And hey, something might happen in the next episode, but we'll let you know when we actually get you those pages. So uh, to have a foil here for Jessica for the first time with similar powers, I think is very exciting. And Matt, a woman to boot. Absolutely. And her her reveal certainly was fun. Uh, we've talked before certainly about how sometimes it'll intercut between two scenes. Um, or actually, I, I guess the better way to put it would be scenes will intercut across two different storylines. It ain't like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that will do two or three scenes at the same time intercutting. But I did like that reveal of Dr. Hansen's on the phone, uh, you know, eventually go see her. Then there's the, you know, wait, that's not Dr. Hansen back to the fight. Um, and uh, certainly a compelling character there. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, I know I got a good one, but it's a little uh, it's a little in my heart. Let's start with what you have. Let's talk about uh, disposing of human remains, either out in the open or in common spaces. Like when Simpson's body, which wasn't quite clear immediately what was flying past the screen out into the water, which turns out to be the ocean, uh, is disposed by Jess and Trish in broad daylight. Um artistic presentation of the opening scene <laughs> i mean it's difficult to argue against particularly in this day and age where they presumably have driven his car there or they've the two of one person drove the car his car there whatever the particulars are um we have this situation where they must have taken the body to the shoreline and then jessica did a one two three twisty spin olympic style and sent him <laughs> flying a rather inauspicious end i really dug the character of simpson um well I they didn't dig him well that's true <laughs> um <laughs> they threw him sometimes characters just sink out of the story um yeah i mean i i can't argue with what you said clearly the show isn't saying oh and they've been caught on traffic cameras the entire way it's that show where they use computers to track people you know high-tech csi or whatever that's not the flavor here so i guess they got away with it hopefully he didn't land in in uh you know, hopefully this time he he is in the ocean as opposed to harold meacham who ended up in that bog and then came back and all that but that's a different mcu show of lesser pedigree dr tebow and the door there matt unlocking the subconscious the psyche 
of Jess, I thought was really interesting. And then by the time it pays off, she has that dream where she's got a whiskey IV. There are ashes coming down from the ceiling and then the door larger meaning going on here. Well, I'll throw one more thing in there, Pete, the light in that flashback ah, the purple. In, that, in that dream turning purple. I mean, yeah. open secret that we're going to get David Tennant in some capacity. I have long since held, you know, like the, the pictures showed up and people were like, what? How's he back? I thought you killed him off. You've taken away everything I love because you killed a character who uh, you said he was dead. And now we can't trust anything you say. Can she have a flashback? Can she have a terrible dream? Can we get, you know, Doctor Who to come back for like one episode in a terrifying whatever as she, you know, as she either starts to confront or puts a cap on this most awful or a most awful portion of her life? I, I don't, I don't want to say it's easier or worse than the death of her, uh, the death of her family, but I think we're headed to that. And you know, I don't. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete. David Tennant did not appear in any of the promotional stuff. It was just no, like it was no. just like stolen onset photos, they, or maybe not they, even stolen. They TMZ'd the the show that oh. Uh, oh, is using TMZ. There you go. So I think we're headed to that, if nothing else. Pete, here's one for you, and I want to preface this by saying, at Fantastic Geek, we need to have a new title for what I'm about to do, and we're going to call it. Even though I'm not about to talk about Hellcat directly, we're going to call this the Hellcat Protocol in honor of the guy at New York Comic Con when we saw the first episode of Jessica Jones who said, she's going to be Hellcat, she's got to be Hellcat, which is not everything needs to be a comic thing directly, immediately setting that up. So that's the Hellcat Protocol. Keeping in mind I'm invoking the Hellcat Protocol, the fake Dr. Leslie Hansen says the following about what was done to Jessica Jones. There was editing of genetic code. The powers are a side effect with certain DNA. Pete, hold on. Mutants? I mean, I know this is pre the merger with Fox and the merger can, has yet to Can be we done. even then say the M word like you just did? Uh, well, I, I think my phone's ringing. It's a Fox lawyer. Um, I don't think... There's and, and again, because the M word is verboten at this point, um, I don't think it's that. I do think well, wait. what is side effects that only happen to certain DNA? Like, well, when they're exposed with whatever they did there, like anything else could uh, cause issues. I think the genetic editing thing, the saving lives that they were doing this all very much circles back around Matt to that we have another character who has a genetic disorder, a wasting terrible disease that there might somehow be a lifeline out there for. That would be a handy way to wrap things up for the beloved Carrie Ann Moss to continue, not just to be on the show because she could be in the show. I mean, she could be, out of her, uh, I, Jerry could be out of the law firm, but still in the show. You know, she said it's she has about eight years, so indefinitely, let alone. Well, we all know Jessica Jones is going at least eight seasons. So, provided they don't do a time jump, I'm looking forward to Carrie Ann Moss being in every, you know, season and episode of that. But it is rather handy, and you know, you touched on before that you appreciated. Um, or I'm sorry, they faked you out, right? We talked 
in the last episode that you thought for certain this would be um, you know, like ovarian cancer or uh, something along those lines, perhaps breast cancer. I really appreciate that this female helmed show directed in this second season by all female directors. And I think it's story dependent made the choice to go with a non-female ailment because we're all human beings and here's something, you know, I can't tell you the pity that I felt for Jerry, somebody who in the past I've been like, yep, she's going to let Kilgrave out so she can use him to, uh, you know, rig a jury or what have you, you know, she's got super questionable ethics, but we feel for her particularly because of the horrible way that ALS, that uh, Lou Gehrig's disease is to go. She could be dead in two. She, you know, has nothing but just wasting away in front of her. And Matt, in that very same episode that that's disclosed, genetic editing comes up. That is a very, very fair observation and may well be some story seeding to solve that problem uh, later on. It also occurs to me that just from a story perspective, not to say that breast cancer, uh, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer are by any means you know, a walk in the park or, or easily solved, but there are aggressive ways to combat those ailments. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, there's no... There's no there's no fix for ALS, right? No. And, you know, that's something that I think makes it potentially. And again, we're not going to compare this disease to that disease. But the idea that that's hanging out there, whereas there are multiple treatments and again, survival rate, success rate, reactions, side effects, everything else with those cancers that you're talking about. Uh, and then the commonality of it, um, you know, the genetic stuff, not so much of a possibility to repair the, uh, the cancers. So I, I think this is truly story dependent. Well, Pete, one more thing, not a full theory, but something I'd like to call attention to this notion, you know, is Oscar bigoted? He says his response is not you know, no, I'm not judging you by your powers. I'm judging you by the fact that there's fights or that there's this or that. His comeback to the claim that he's bigoted is she is not in a protected class. So, I, I, you know, what are your thoughts there in terms of, you know, is Oscar being racist without a race? Is he being sexist without a gender? Is he being bigoted just because there's not a group of people who have a label called supers or called mutants or called whatever? but it still is discrimination in the heart. I don't believe him to be bigoted in the racial or gender sense. I think what he's doing is motivated out of fear for his child. And I think there's a greater secret. Okay. So he's an ex con. He's been to jail, but though that's what he's charged with, is that the only bad he's ever been up to or currently doing? Um, you know, the painting of the boyfriend of the landlord is unusual. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a greater secret going on and, and this is smokescreen. Couple more for you, Matt. 
how easy is it to plant a human skull in a morgue and then call attention to it when no one logged it in except the person who planted it? Um, it's made easier when Maury Tuttlebaum keeps his login by his <laughs> computer, which I'm not guilty of doing, but I know plenty of people who are. So I kind of felt like, is that the most impossible thing in the world? I'll assume that the medical examiner's office also has like locks and you have to sign in and there's probably a cop out front. So it's not just like he's sitting on the, uh, on the street or whatever with access to, to that computer. So I think that makes it less of a story sin. He then makes reference to having perhaps had, uh, having had uh, too many sippies last night and maybe not remembering everything that he did this morning when he logged it in. So the story says it's okay. I mean, I, Pete, what I know of the world of medical examiners based solely on um, CSI is that they live a solitary life. They are doctors, but they have not patients, but rather victims. I mean, kind of, you know, joking tone aside, could I see him being a somewhat reclusive guy who loves his restaurants and sometimes drinks a little bit too much? And then, you know, he's of an age where he might be slightly forgetful now and then as to which skull got put in. The story says it's okay. The story showed me how it works. So I guess I'm okay with it. How about Trish and Malcolm, Matt? They've been giving us vibes throughout the season and the previous episode when they went to the set. There, there was the misdirect with her outfit um, and that Malcolm was with somebody else when he received the call. Now they're literally embroiled in this TMZ scandal. He is the other man. Um, I think there might be some fallout over that in the next episode. That said, I think that the the um the tmz stuff might just simply be backtracked from the story needs proof about the janet mcteer character how are we going to get it we're going to get a picture how are we going to get a cameraman there cameraman is with celebrity trish why um because there's this claim that they've broken up and then now she's with malcolm and this one guy is the guy who hangs around he's there to photograph the the hot couple Story-wise, he's there to photograph the mystery woman. So uh, I'll see it when it happens. The fact that like her best friend, her other friend, falling in love, I don't think that's this show. Um, but time will tell. Lastly from me, who is mystery woman and why kill Dr. Leslie Hansen? Well, I think there's tons of potential for them to take it as powered as they want to go. Um, it would appear thus far that Mystery Woman has powers similar to Jessica, you know, just kind of like super strength, super jumping strength leg things. Um, but then there's this question of why does she look like the good late doctor? Um, so it makes me think, okay, do we have cloning as an option? Do we have shape shifting as an option? Uh, I'll just say, Pete, that for right now, there remains to be a lot of mystique. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, who's first on the drop list? To the Facebook page, facebook.com slash fantasticgeek. Robert T. Frost writes in, Welcome back, Jessica Jones. Like an old friend we haven't seen for a few years, the friendship picks 
up right where we left off, assuming, of course, Jessica would even have a friendship beyond Trish. Chuckle. Very excited for season two. We are off to a great start. And uh, just so we let him know uh, that uh, Jess isn't alone past Trish, I wrote, we really want to be her friend with a little music emoji. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a welcome it is a welcome return for Jessica Jones. As I said in one of the prior podcasts, Defenders was fun. Defenders was not me getting the quality Jessica Jones focus that I want out of a Jessica Jones series. So now we have the best of both worlds, Pete. We have the team up last summer, and now we have Jessica Jones you know, and her crew getting the spotlight right now. Well, also uh, responding here, Matt, we have our pal Fred from the Netherlands with some audio. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback on Jessica Jones, Season 2, Episode 3, a.k.a. Soul Survivor. I actually did something very silly. Um, I only watched episode 3, I didn't have time to to watch episode 1 and 2, so I could give some feedback to uh, your podcast. Um, since you are recording uh, 3 podcasts a week, I just can't keep up, and uh, I just decided that I could give once a little bit of feedback this season, um, and obviously it's, it's more important to me to give at least once feedback for your pod for your marvelous podcast then really understand the story and missed the first two episodes but anyhow it was nice to see jessica back after three years although for me it was only one and a half because i started watching jessica much later than it really aired i was very much afraid that there would be a lot of it from the defenders um, i didn't watch defenders yet because i didn't watch iron fist and uh, luke cage yet uh, and I really want to watch that first before I, I start watching Defenders. But um, I have the impression there is not too much of Defenders in it, although I question where Foggy Nelson comes from, uh, and that's probably uh, something that came from the Defenders. So what Foggy is doing in uh, Jer uh, Jerry L uh, Hogarth's uh, company. There was a very nice quote, by the way, when they met... Um, so Jerry Hogarth says, so um, uh, exercise some goddamn discretion and bury your head in the sand because that's where it belongs instead of up my ass. One other very nice scene was when uh, Jessica and Trish were in the car and Jessica did some investigations about uh, Griffin Sinclair and uh, the conclusion was he is actually a decent human being and Trish says, shit. Now she really has to protect him. The doctor that is in this episode, uh, the, so the psychiatrist, Dr. Thibault, uh, is actually a Dutch actor, Ben van Bergen, and he was born in Amsterdam. It was nice that, uh, that Malcolm was still there and that he is helping uh, um, Jessica now. Um, that was good to see. And I really, really missed jessica jones and uh, well the atmosphere is is more or less the same so i want to wish you all the best for these 13 episodes and your podcast all the best greetings fred from the netherlands 
wow, Fred doing like only Fred can and spotting a Dutch actor there. I had no idea on the gentleman playing Dr. Tebolt. So uh, great point there. But I want to flip this back on Fred. Fred is a geneticist, Matt. Were you aware of that? Uh, I believe that has come up in conversation. Okay. Off mic conversation, I think. So I'm 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 stunned he didn't uh you know pick up on that with um the mystery woman and the genetic editing and the ALS diagnosis for Jerry. So I'm interested if there's you know is there genetically a uh, a cure out there? Is there something super controversial or? Uh, fringe or homeopathic or or what have you, given that they've so intensely settled in on Jerry is going to die this horrible death in two to eight years. Well, that's certainly uh, that's an interesting uh, question there. I can't wait to hear Fred's uh, most wise thoughts on it. And uh, indeed, we always appreciate hearing from him and uh, and the time he takes to send in messages. Ditto for Robert T. Frost. And uh, altogether, Pete, a, a fantastic mail drop. Well, Matt, one of those uh, correspondents there in Fred, a Patreon, and a lot of other people out there like him. We want to take a minute to stop and thank all of our patrons to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fantastic Geek. Indeed, we, we uh, appreciate so much that people are helping us out in that way. Uh, particularly as various costs come up and whatnot. It's always nice to uh, to know that we have help from the listeners. So thanks again to everyone who has gone and may go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. But Pete, the best, the free, the talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 9,829 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast any way you like. Comment at fantasticgeek.com. Email at fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram and our Twitter, uh, which is uh, fantasticgeek as well. We got some great pictures from the Paley Fest up there on the Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH like it today. Well, to those listening to us on the Jessica Jones feed, we will be back in a couple of days to talk episode 204. And if you're listening to us in the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. not too far away either. Uh, Pete, this, you know, here we are, middle of March. Before you know it, it's going to be April, the month of Avengers. It'll be May, the month of. Uh, Deadpool, the month of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season, series, finale, um, Han Solo in May, uh, and then then other good stuff as well. Um, The adventure, Pete, it always continues. Great time to be doing this, and uh, couldn't be happier bringing it all to you. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. There's dirt everywhere. You just have to.